This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? We're gonna use podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Renish Loops on Twitter. We are back after a one month hiatus. I have not <laughs> talked to this man in a month. How are you doing, Forrest Walker? We're here. Yeah, we're here. We have not talked in God knows, like five years, six years. It's been a long yeah. time. Um, and everything has happened in the meantime. Yeah, everything, and at the same time, nothing. Uh, I, I I don't yeah. really know. That's if much- right. If much has changed since the last time we podcasted, um, you know, I really do do enjoy doing this podcast because well, sometimes when I don't really understand this particular subject about the Rockets, it helps to talk to you because I feel like you have a pretty good pulse of this team. I'm not sure if this podcast is going to benefit either of us today because I'm not sure if I, I know damn well I don't I don't have a good pulse for this team, and, and I'm not sure if you do. We've been texting back and forth about it, like. Where are you with this team right now? Like, do, do you understand anything? Um, the only thing I know for sure is that they're old. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> they are indeed old. Um, and I just like I'm not sure if they're good. I'm not sure if they're bad. They're, they're clearly right at at the moment. They are clearly a mediocre basketball team. And I guess if you look at the long term stats, we can say. They're a good offensive team and a crappy defensive team, and I guess that's the takeaway you can get. But I feel like the problems with this team change week to week, month to month, half to half, game to game. Like, nothing is ever consistent with this team, and that's pretty much been the biggest problem. I, I, have, such a, I have such a hard time diagnosing this team, partly because the problems with this team change every day. Yeah, uh, it's constantly different. I... I... As I've told people, it's not possible to know anything about this team. Uh, because the instant you think you know about this team, they're not what you thought they were. Yeah, they change. Uh, every single time. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as you're like, actually, you know what? I think they're I think they're okay. Then they're suddenly not okay. As soon as you're like, never mind. Actually, I guess they're in trouble. Nope, they look okay. So uh, it's they're, this has happened for years, too, where they keep defying expectations. Uh, I don't know what the deal is. All I know is that whatever the Rockets are is not what they are. 
Yeah, and there was that five-game stretch where we felt like, okay, we know what this team is. They're they're going to be a gritty defensive team, and their offense just suddenly sucks now. Like that's just that's just what's happening. They can't hit a jump sh- jumper anymore. And then immediately, like that fifth game, they they kind of completely reverted to a different team. Like they became this what they've been mo- the most of the season. They became a, a really bad defense and this you know outstanding offense and like again like this the identity of this team i don't know what it is like i don't know if i can definitively say this team hangs its hat on x like i don't know what it hangs its hat on because because they don't have anything that cha- that's consistent game to game and, and and the same goes for their weaknesses their weaknesses change game to game so it is really really tough to talk to talk about this team and all I've been doing the past couple of weeks is asking as many people as I can, including yourself, like, do you understand this team? Like, do you, a person who I respect and has a pretty good pulse of this team, do you have any idea what it is? And I haven't got a solid answer from anybody because nobody really knows. And, you know, like, there was a, during that five-game winning streak, I remember I was asking reporters while I was at the game, I was like, do you feel like they're back? Because I, I, I don't feel like they're back. I kept on referring to like their end of game stat. Like they just, they never felt like last year's Rockets. And a lot of the coverage I was seeing was the last year's Rockets are back. And I'm like, are we sure last year's Rockets are back? Like, I'm not sure if they're winning games like this. And like, I think we can clearly say like last year's Rockets aren't back. Uh, I'm not sure what version of the Rockets this is. Um, it's It's just a confusing team. It's a confusing basketball team. I, I don't understand it because in the preseason, they looked completely fine. They looked 10 to 15% less sharp, but it didn't look like this. They looked much better than this. They looked like a coherent team in the preseason, a very good basketball team. I'm not sure well, what this basketball yeah, they, team is. They, yeah, during that five-game streak, they looked like what most people thought they were going to be, which is a very good team that wasn't quite as good as last season. Uh but still quite good, right? They look like a quite good By basketball way, team. Are you at a gym locker right now? What's going <laughs> on there? Like, I just oh, hear... Uh, this... Someone opened and closed a door in okay. my house. Okay, cool. It's cool. <laughs> just... Uh, my bad. <laughs> Go ahead, continue. <laughs> yeah, so they've they've looked... They looked better, right? They look like a real team during that stretch. Not necessarily like the elite world-ending team they were last season, but like a good team. A Probably, team with an identity. Yeah, a team with identity. They're, yes, they look like a team who are going to uh, bury you with threes, and if that doesn't work, go to the rim. They look like a team with solid defense, right? But since then, it's just all kind of came apart again, mostly due to Chris Paul being out. And now we have to deal with endless speculation about, like, is Chris Paul washed? Is is the whole team washed? What should have happened? And, you know, this is only natural. This is... This is the stuff that happens sooner or later with these older contending teams. Eventually, they stop contending because, you know, nothing lasts forever. And older teams age out after a while. So you always you always reach this kind of moment of uh, existential crisis. The Rockets just are making us confront and not confront it alternatingly every 12 seconds. Yeah, I mean, there are games where I feel like, man... Chris Paul looks like a totally different basketball player, and it's super depressing. Like, for example, in Minnesota, he had he had five points, seven assists, five turnovers, um, a, a minus 13, one for eight from the field, one for seven from three. Um, just a totally uncharacteristic game. 
And at the same time, he's had games where he's looked awesome. And this is kind of the deal with old point guards. Like, I remember, like, Steve Nash, uh, one of my favorite players of all time, like, he didn't just become old all of a sudden. Like, he had amazing games some nights and just blah games some other nights. It never really became, like, a firm drop-off. Like, it was just... You know, the, they had gears, like these old these old point guards, like Tony Parker, same thing. They just had gears where they just, they weren't their, themselves all the time. Yeah, it'll become spotty. Right. Like Manu Ginobili and stuff. Yeah, the, you'll see that, like, they look slower and slower over time, but then some games they can just, they just seem to be able to ramp it up for some reason, uh, which, you know, they, they are still that good. Their bodies is betraying them. A little bit and more and more. So yeah, they'll still look good sometimes. I don't think Chris Paul's washed, uh, but I do think he's, you know, he, he's aging and it's going to get. It's not going to get any better. Uh, yeah. So they definitely need to like they need to pull back his minutes, and they know that, and they're clearly trying to deal with that. Okay, so let's let's, let's try to make some di- some diagnoses for this team because like I, I'm I'm trying to figure out some some problems where I feel like yeah I, I can firmly say this is a problem for this team I feel like I can I can say yeah health is a problem for this team like I feel like we can firmly say health has had something to do with it it may not be all of it because even when they're healthy they're not the same team they were last year but I mean if you look at games where Chris Paul James Harden and Clint Capella all played uh, which I'm sure the Rockets are telling everybody to look at right like I'm sure that those those guys are pushing those stats out to the press as much as they possibly can. Um, they are 10-5. and five. So that's that's a 54-win basketball team when those three are healthy. That's not bad. Uh, you know, that's, that's not what they were last year, but that's not bad. So yeah. we, we can firmly say health has had something to do with, with this slow start. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a big part of it, honestly. Uh, until, like, they have, they've only played 15 games with all three of them, which I guess is, that's a pretty decent How's it even possible? They only play, they only play like twenty three games, but uh, uh, yeah. So they've they've that they've missed eight games with you know with with one of those guys getting injured, and Capella's played in all of them. So uh, either Harden or Chris Paul has have missed eight games combined out of twenty three so far. Uh, so that's that's a that's a, that's a decent chunk of injury, and a bunch of other guys have been hurt too. You know, you had Ennis coming back from uh, a hamstring injury. You had Harden dealing with a hamstring injury. You had Paul dealing with a hamstring injury. I uh, I don't know what it is with hamstrings. There, what's going on? Are they just uh, stretching too hard or something? Why is everyone getting hamstring injuries? Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. And and you asked, how is this possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. Because in games when those guys are not all playing, they are one in like eighty five. Like they they they've only won one basketball yeah. game when all three of those guys aren't healthy. That that's how it's possible. That they just are atrocious when they're not at full health. Um, and that and they were able to survive injuries to Chris Paul, to James Harden, the occasional game from Click Capella. Like they were able to survive games like that last year, and this year it's just not the case. Their depth is trash, and I feel like that's another problem we can firmly diagnose. Their depth is. It's just not the same. It's uh, what who whatever you want to blame it on. Whether you want to blame it on Maury's off season, which I think you can at this point say, yeah, I mean, he's had a lot of misses. Michael Carter Williams probably a miss. Carmel Anthony probably oh, yeah a, a miss. Uh, Marquise Chris a miss. My, Brandon Knight we don't know. Every 
gamble that they've taken has not worked out, other than maybe James Ennis. Yeah, he's been A-OK. Um, he's been fine so far. He is not giving the same production that Ariza gave last year, but he's also costing the veterans minimum, uh, which is really the only tools they have available right now. Right. Uh, so the difference in the rotation right now, the whole difference in rotation is that instead of Trevor Ariza, Luca Chardin-Bamute, and Ryan Anderson, the Rockets have James Ennis, Gary Clark, and the uh, as yet unplayed Brandon Knight. Yeah. So and, and, and like they had Daniel House there for a minute, but then he got waived, which we can talk about in a bit uh, if you want we'll get to. to that, yeah. yeah it, it, well, we we kind of do have to talk about him um, because there is some that that may be a precursor to other things, but we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, so yeah, like it, it, they we can firmly say okay, health and depth; those are two problems that we can firmly say. Yes, these two things are a problem for Houston. Um, is there anything else that you can you can say? Okay, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sure if this is this is gonna work for Houston this year. Uh, they're old, and they're older than they were last year because that's how time works. Uh, Chris Paul has gotten older, most specifically, but also so has PJ Tucker, uh, so has Nene. Uh, every you know, a lot of their, some of their players are young enough that it doesn't really matter, right? Like Ennis is right in the middle of his of his, his prime there, and he was on the team last year. Uh, Clint Capella is right in the middle of his prime. He's not getting worse from age, but Harden he might, is. He on might the have wrong been the team. only person on this roster that got better. Clint Capella might be the only guy who got better this. Yeah, season. and he looked pretty bad at the start of the season as when his conditioning wasn't like fully there yet too. Right, and that's part of it too. They they like they had to work back into shape. Uh, but they're, they definitely are an older team. Uh, they are, I believe, the oldest team in the NBA, depending on how you measure it. There's always, you always got to figure out how you're going to measure it. But uh, they're one of the oldest teams in the league. And they're not going to get any younger. They are just going to keep having more problems with minutes piling up and fatigue setting in. Uh, you're going to have problems with, you know, when they have a lot of games in a, few, a small amount of time, like this last week or so, where they played a ton of games to catch up because they were behind everyone else in terms of games played. Uh, then suddenly, mysteriously, at the end of the game against the Wolves, no one can hit anything. Well, that's in large part because there is progressive fatigue in the world. No one turned that slider off. No, no one turned that option off in the in the settings for the real universe. So sometimes they're just going to look bad. Uh, and when they have stretches, when they have rest between games, they'll probably look better. Like, there's a real good chance that this next couple games are going to look a lot better mysteriously. And in large part, it's because these are a bunch of old guys who need to get some rest in between games. Fair enough. So they're older, their depth is depleted, and um, they've had health issues. I would also say their their defensive rebounding has been just atrocious. One of the worst teams in the NBA at defensive rebounding percentage. Might might be the worst team in the NBA right now. I don't know. I haven't checked in a couple of days, but they are atrocious at rebounding the basketball on on defense. It's it's been a real problem for them. It's it's a big part of as to why they are twenty seventh in the league in defense. Last time I checked, it's, it's yeah, been, it's, it, it's an issue. Yeah, their rebounding has been. I mean, if you can't stop possessions, you can't play defense. Plain and simple. Well, the three guys that they lost out of the rotation uh, were actually pretty good at rebounding for their positions. Like, even Ryan Anderson, who isn't a great rebounder, he is tall and long, and he would sometimes, like, you'd see some games where he had a bunch of rebounds here and there because 
He had the physical ability to grab rebounds over people's heads sometimes. Ariza, very long arms. Luke even had Luke was even pretty long and tall for you know for being a three. Not quite as much as Ariza, but so they were they were decent rebounders for their positions, and it might not have been a huge amount of rebounding, but it's cumulatively enough that it's causing a real problem. They're having to go. The Rockets have to go small quite a bit now. Like yeah. when they when when Clint Capella is not playing, they don't really have another center or haven't so far. Nene can perhaps help with that, but they're not going to play Nene and Clint Capella at the same time. So their four is always going to be undersized. They don't really have a four right now. They just have like they have like PJ Tucker or Gary Clark, right? Who are guys who are a bit undersized for a four, but oversized for a three. So the, they don't have like a dude like Ryan Anderson who is just a actual power forward. So they're they're always at a disadvantage in rebounding battles. And if you look at the teams who have just beaten them down, it does tend to be teams with big, strong front courts who are able to muscle it and grab those rebounds and abuse them in other ways too. Their their front court size, length, and uh, and height is actually a weakness for them, and I think it's quite related to this rebounding issue. Yeah, and um, it's possible Nene is going to help them a bit. If you look at overall, they are throughout the throughout the course of the regular season, they are 29th in rebounding percentage. Only the Washington Wizards are worst rebounding teams, and they are uh, that's not, that's not good company. You do not want to be in any conversation with the Washington Wizards at this point in time. They are a disaster, uh, just complete train wreck there in Washington. And if you look at the past three games, which I believe is the time Nene has come back in, they are 18th. So slight improvement there. Maybe Nene helps out over the long term. But you're right, they do that. This is a problem they do have to address. Their rebounding is just they're just not not the same team anymore. Like they don't have the same kind capable rebounders they did last season. And you know, Clint Capella and PJ Tucker can't do everything. At some point, you're going to need to get some rebounding from your backcourt, from your uh, your wings, and they haven't got that so far. So, yeah, I mean, re- defensive rebounding, depth, age, and injury, I feel like those are the major reasons as to why the Rockets are what they are right now. Uh, so, by the way, th- this, answer, this actually specifically answers a question we just got in a, a minute ago. At uh, Jan Michael Bond 91, what's wrong with our team? Well, we just answered that. Um, yeah, so hopefully, maybe. Yeah, I guess. I mean, again, it's really, really tough to diagnose. This is weird. This is a weird basketball team. So, you want to go through questions right now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, here's a question: Should be should we be worried about Donuts Twitter rants? Should we yeah, worry about your Twitter rants? Yeah, sure. Uh, I wouldn't post if I didn't want you to worry about them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we should always be worried about our friend Forrest over here. Um, from our good friend Eric Sparopoulos, who are your ideal trade targets? Um, I mean, ideally a wing, right? I mean, this is pretty Kent Bazemore, Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, J.R. Smith's been a name that's been thrown around. Uh, I think they could, they could use a LeBron James on yeah. their team. Yeah. yeah, that might... He might help. He might help. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah any kind of, Yeah, I think that a, a, uh... A wing, a three and D type wing would be very good. Uh, I mean, or just a capable uh, wing, because like you can't yeah. be playing Gerald Green the amount of minutes he's been playing. Like I'm sorry, I like Gerald. Yeah, he's Green. great for spot minutes, but yeah, I like Gerald Green. Like 
Mike D'Antoni is playing him way too much. And and I understand why he's doing it. Like, there's just not that many options there. And if you look at, um, and this is an observation I noted over the past couple of games, like, James Ennis, as, he is not fit his billing as in a, as a Trevor Reza replacement. I mean, you mentioned it earlier in the podcast. I mean, Trevor Reza was playing 32 to 35 minutes a night with the Rockets for like, since his entire tenure, like that, that's that's just been a thing. The, the Rockets like to play their small forward around thirty to thirty-five minutes, and so far this season, James Ennis has played twenty-five minutes per game. Like that's not good enough. Like like clearly there there is not a trust level there to where he can play a heavy amount of minutes as Trevor Reza did in the past. And the Rockets are having to split these other minutes up against guys like like Gary Clark and. Michael, uh, not Michael Carter Williams. Uh, I'm sorry, Gerald Green, and um, Michael Carter Williams is having no minutes. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, he's completely falling out of the lineup as he should. He's not been good. Um, he they, they've had to split this minute these minutes up against guys who just aren't that great, and I think that's a real indicator as to a, a functional problem with this team. They need depth. They need a starting caliber small forward, and they don't have that yet. Like and that's a big that's something the Rockets have to address. Now I'm not sure if if that's something that the Rockets are gonna. T- now we should probably this should probably transition to a, a news item about Daniel House, right? Like Daniel House, um, as everybody listening to this podcast has ar- already knows, uh, Daniel House has been waived by the Rockets, and this was a huge. I mean, pretty much everybody on Rockets Twitter immediately knew this is a precursor to think of things to come, right? This may be a an indicator that Gary Clark may be converted from his two way to a regular contract, or this which may he be, deserves. Yeah, which he has earned at this point, uh, even though he has maybe fallen out of the rotation since Daniel House is brought in, um, or as Jonathan Fagan pointed out in his column yesterday, this is a precursor of a trade that is destined to happen before December seventh, and both things may be true. The Rockets may try to get a trade done before December 7th. And if that doesn't happen, they may convert Gary Clark to a regular contract. A lot of things can happen here, but this is a de- this is definitely a precursor of things to come, most notably a trade, a two-for-one kind of trade that uh, the Rockets are bracing for by clearing up this roster spot here. Uh, I mean, if by the way, the reason this December 7th d- deadline is so significant is that the Rockets if they acquire a player by December 7th they can then again trade that player in 60 days at you know at the February trade deadline and you know get get another player back then that's why we got this question from Eric I mean the Rockets are very much on the trade market this season and uh, it's going to be interesting to see who they go after. But yeah, you know, it's it's funny Arizo would be a really good trade target if he wasn't making 15 million dollars a year. Yeah, <laughs> or for one year only, because yeah, the Suns aren't going to want to take back money that's not expiring. But no one is really no one's going to want to trade like fifteen million in expiring money to the Suns for Trevor Ariza. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, keep an eye on that because it does seem like he like he is about done there. Uh, there there keep being rumblings about like him being traded or even potentially I mean, bought out. Not rumblings. So, Mark Stein tweeted it. Yeah, yeah, he yeah he's he's on the he's on the block. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but we'll see how much that block can pan out. Yeah, like um, and 
I would be very surprised if the Rockets actually tried to acquire Trevor Ariza via trade. That would blow me away because then then it would just make their their offseason even that much more defensive. Yeah. Right. But I would not be surprised at all if they tried to angle for him getting bought out and acquiring right. him that way. That makes more but sense. But that, that's up to him. <laughs> that's, that's to some degree up to him. Um, if the Rockets don't make it back to the Western Conference Finals, is Maury's getting fired, correct? No. 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 Why? Yeah, no. Uh, that's, that's Come on, man. Like, uh, at the Astro Joker, you got to do better than that, man. Like, it's... No. I mean, and, and if he does get fired because of that, like, that's... Completely indefensible. That's a for nasty indictment. Yeah. yeah, he's had one off season that has not been good. I mean, that. And then we, if we can even discuss how much of this is even like they're doing. It, honestly, the Michael Carter Williams signing is the only thing that is a real black mark in this off season, as far as their choice, as far as Maury's choices go, in my opinion. Are a lot of other NBA teams playing MDA slash Maury ball? If so, should that change the Rockets' strategy, i.e. a mid-range game to default to if necessary? Uh, yes, a lot of teams are playing a lot more MDA slash Mori Ball, and that's because it's mathematically the correct way to play basketball. I mean, if you look at the yep. smartest organizations in the NBA, they are shooting more three-pointers, shooting less mid-range jumpers, t- making sure to, put, to shoot a high percentage of their shots at the rim, which is not new. You know, that's been a strategy since... Since basketball was invented, you should generally try to get a lot of shots up at the paint because that's a high percentage shot. Um, but yeah, they are a lot of teams. This is an easy trend to follow. You can just go on NBA.com slash stats, click on click on three pointers attempted, and you'll see uh, the trend year by year. Teams are teams are progressively shooting more threes and progressively shooting less mid range jumpers. That's definitely a trend. Um, if so, should that change the rocket strategy? No, no. The league is catching up with them, but that doesn't mean what the Rockets are doing is flawed. That 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 just means the Rockets no, but, were ahead of the curve. Yeah. And that so while I yeah I agree with you. Uh, there is something you said about the fact that yes, when everybody is doing this, it's their effectiveness at it is in a way lessened, right? Because when they were the only when they were one of the only teams who were playing this numbers game to this effect, to, like to this degree, that gave them a bit of an advantage over the teams that weren't doing that. Uh, it did help them like exceed expectations. It did help them like outplay themselves a little bit. But now that that's kind of the league standard, that like that's that is at least a lot more common. Their marginal value has dropped because of that. I think that's part of what we're seeing as well. The rest of the league kind of caught up with them. Right, their competitive advantage is gone, which is fine. Like, the, I mean, it's still a thing. It's still a thing you got to do. It was inevitable. Like, at some point, their advantage was going to go away, and the Rockets were uh, at the time when they started going with this strategy. They were not a very good uh, NBA team, so uh, it, it's just it's just the way it goes. And I, I have a feeling that a lot of this is is going into new coaches' contracts. Like, I feel like you you see this a lot more and more, where like. A new coach comes into an organization and they suddenly start shooting a billion more three pointers. Like Mike Budenhoser in, in in Milwaukee is a great example of this. Like, and I have a feeling that a lot of coaches have this in their contracts where you have to shoot a set percentage of your jump shots at from behind the arc. Maury talked about this at the, at the Sloan conference this year. Actually, like they, they put it in their contracts uh, with the Rockets. They put you know you have to play this style of basketball. You have to play to the math. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's happening with other teams. 
like the Brooklyn Nets, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Los Angeles Clippers, so on and so forth. Like it, it I would not be surprised if that's the reason they are trending upwards uh, to such a high degree. Um, and uh, should they should they play a mid range game to take advantage of this? Uh, I mean, it depends on if teams are just leaving the mid range wide wide open. Uh, generally, I think they're not exactly doing that, and there is. Shooting a long two is not great. Shooting a long contested two is terrible. Uh, so I think that you can get a little bit of... You you can get a little marginal utility by playing more of mid-range, depending on the defense, but you give up so much utility in terms of expected value of shots that uh, I wouldn't worry about it too much. You just play the strengths of your personnel, mostly. Yeah, I'll ask this question for you. Do they have Kevin Durant? No? No? Okay, so, so they shouldn't take long twos. Like it's it's pretty simple. If if you don't have the players to shoot at a high percentage, you know, from the long two, you shouldn't be taking them. They they just aren't a good shot. Like, and this hurts me to say because when I played basketball, like the long two was my game. Like that that's that's all I did, and it hurts me to to see that shot become you just so toxic for NBA teams. But if you look at the worst offenses in the NBA, they're all taking a high percentage of their shots from the long two. It's just. That's just where the math is. You should just stop taking long twos. If, unless you're really freaking good at them, like Kevin Durant, like CJ McCollum, like Chris Paul, like Dirk Nowinski in his prime. Like, like Unless you're that good, you should not be taking these shots. Or unless you're like wide open or it's an end-of-game situation where you just need a shot. That Those are the only situations where you should be taking long twos. It's sad, but that's that's where the way the game is going. And uh, it's smart for the Rockets to keep on doing what they're doing. This is from Britt. Robot Tista, uh, what is more likely, a trade completed by December 31st or Houston being above 500 by de- on, on December 31st? Um, huh. Those are actually probably both pretty likely is the funny thing. Like as, as, much, uh, as much panicking as we like to do, those both seem uh, quite possible, if not more so, likely than not. So let's change right, the like, question. What's, what's less likely? Um... I guess I have to say the over 500 thing is because it's harder to know what's going to happen there. As far as trades go, generally speaking, when a GM is wanting to make a trade, they're typically going to find one of some kind. Like, I think if Daryl Morey wants to get a trade done, there's something out there that's worth doing. Yeah, so I'll agree with you. I'll say um, Houston being above 500 is uh, is less likely than a trade being completed by December 31st. Um, And and her second question was, what one player who may be placed on the trade market could realistically help the Rockets the most in the short term? Um, I guess there there are a bunch of players you can fit into this category. Uh, I guess you could say maybe Kent Bazemore. Maybe you could say uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. You can maybe, I don't think J.R. Smith is that one player. But that's someone that can be had, so I guess that's you know that, that there's that. I don't really know if there's a perfect three three and D wing out there for the Rockets, especially if they intend on starting this three and D wing. But uh, there are plenty of players that can help them, nonetheless, and uh, they should definitely try to go after those players. Yep, uh, and they will. <laughs> So we'll see what happens there. Uh, they also obviously could use some some guard depth. They badly need some guard depth, but we'll see what happens with Brandon Knight, whether he becomes a trade piece or whether he actually uh, ends up playing with the team at all. He's on the road to recovery. 
How long that road is, unsure, but he's playing basketball now uh, in the G League. So, hey, uh, if he can get healthy, he could be quite helpful to them, or he could be a great trade chip. Yeah, uh, Mike D'Antoni told us like that's a long way back. Like they, they are, yeah. f- they're far away from that happening uh, for him being on the court, which is surprising because uh, he did play that G League game with the Vipers, um, which is kind of it's kind of strange that in the middle of his rehab they just kind of plopped him down to Rio Grande Valley. But I mean that's just the way it is, I guess. Um, from Justin Levine, can Brandon Knight realistically contribute to this team, or is the recent press around him simply prepping him for the trade market? I don't think they're trading; they're prepping him for the trade market. I really think they're trying to be do right by him in, in rehabbing him. Uh, and I, I'm guessing that G League that G League game was just part of the process. Um, can he realistically contribute to this team? Yes, because a lot of team, a lot of players can realistically contribute to this team. This team is really, really shallow. So yeah, yeah, he can realistically contribute to this team. Yep, uh, I think so too. Uh, he is a he has in past been a serviceable NBA player at the very least. Uh, even if he just is a like a solid floor general, even if he's only like a backup quality point guard, that's still better than they have. They need someone who can run the offense at all, who can create a shot and pass the ball, uh, and he can do that. So maybe maybe his injury has sapped his ability to play basketball at all. But they're rehabbing him. He's doing stuff. He's on the road to to, to getting back to the team or getting traded. So they're going to keep rehabbing him and keep acting as if he's going to play with the team until such time as he doesn't. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I would say like. Historically, he's been a very good three-point shooter, and this team is not is not a very good three-point shooting team. So he yeah. could he could definitely help in that respect. Like the, the Rockets uh, could definitely use some more three-point shooting. That's why I thought Kyle Korver would have been a nice addition if they could have traded for him uh, from Cleveland. But uh, Utah did have two second-round picks to give away, so it makes sense that he went there. Um, and I, I I just think man, like he's he's an upgrade over MCW. And probably on par with Gerald Green, so it's he can definitely help them with that guard rotation. That guard rotation is pretty shallow and gets really, really depressing the the further you go down from James Harden. Um, so from Colin Lowry HQ, we've seen epic three point shooting kill the Rockets, most notably Game Seven versus the Warriors, and again Monday night uh, at Minnesota. Is that the Rockets' biggest vulnerability? Are Houston fans going to always be worrying about that this team could miss 28 in a row at any time? Um, it's a vulnerability. I don't think it's their biggest vulnerability right now. Their biggest vulnerability is their defense and their defensive yeah. rebounding. Um, I, I I just think that 28 in a row thing against in the Western Conference Finals, like it's 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 something that happened. And it's very flukish. And if you look at if you look at the odds and the probability that that was going to happen, it's very very low. Pretty much. But it was going to happen to them. If it was going to happen to anybody, it was going to be them. Yeah. Um. Maybe maybe you have some stronger thoughts to this question. I I don't think like I don't think they're ineptly like just going to get these long shooting droughts. Like I I just think it's very fluky. It happens to every team. Every once in a while, it just happened to happen to the Rockets twice in six months. You know, like it, 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 if you if you really think about it, like every team has two games in six months like that. It's just it just happens, especially if uh, you shoot as yeah. many as the Rockets do. So my feeling is that 
it's less fluky with them than it is with most teams in that they shoot a lot of threes. A lot. They are the most prolific three-point shooting team out there historically, and I think that like the Bucks maybe are actually coming for that this year. But they shoot a ton of threes, and they're mostly kind of only decent at it at best. Uh, they also have older players that play a lot of minutes, which is prone to having shots go sometimes. Uh, three-pointers already are a high-variance shot, so just taking a lot of them and not being amazing at them is tempting fate. It's not that they're uniquely vulnerable to it, it's that they are in position to encounter it more than other teams are. Uh, so it's going to happen occasionally. I mean, last season, for example, a lot of a few teams took a revolutionary strategy against the Rockets of just don't really worry about their three-pointers and guard the rest of their offense. Because if the three-pointers stop falling for any reason, then you can just collapse the entire offense entirely, and they can't do anything about it. Uh, it's not a good strategy, but they were so good last year that it oftentimes is better than, than not doing that, right? Because if basically if your strategy is hope that they can't hit very many threes, that might happen. Uh, and we've seen it happen a lot this season. That if they don't hit very many threes, it is very easy for the other team to simply pack the paint, not worry about those threes that are clanking off the rim, and then there's no offense whatsoever. That happened to them the other day. They got they got tired. They got uh, you know they they flagged at the end of the game. They stopped hitting all their threes, and then the already quite good Wolves defense was able to. Uh, they had an even easier time of preventing them from scoring any points. So that is a vulnerability to them. It just comes to the territory. Uh, you just have to accept that on balance, you're not going to go through a lot of those. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely not their biggest vulnerability, I would say. But I will say, at the beginning of the season, their spacing looked super depressing. Like, I mean, if you, you're talking about Eric Gordon becoming a suddenly a 24% three-point shooter and Michael Carter-Williams playing major minutes for them and P.J. Tucker in the corner and, like, their spacing became really depressing, especially in non-Harden and Chris Paul lineups. Like, they just, it just looked so bad. It looked so bad. And, and teams were so easily able to defend them. And that's why their offense stunk at the beginning of the season. And a big part of the reason they're seventh in the league now is, is they're trending upward. Eric Gordon's starting to hit his shots. Michael Carter-Williams has fallen out of the rotation. And their spacing has gotten infinitely better. That's why they're trending upwards offensively as a team. Um, they, they, they could stand to add some more shooting. And that that's part of why J.R. Smith has been a name that's, you know, floated around with the Rockets. Um, and that's a, that's a name that the Rockets targeted uh, this summer in trade talks with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what this team does. Uh, that's all the questions. That's it for this podcast. I'm glad we got this podcast out of the way. We so badly needed to talk about this team. So we had a lot of things to catch up on. I'm so happy to hear from you for it. It's been a while since we had a long conversation about this team. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow me on Twitter at Red Nation Noobs. Follow Forrest on Twitter at D-U-N-O-T-S. And yeah, guys, good night.